We've arrived now at uh, John, John's Gospel, chapter 1, verses 35, where Jesus makes his first disciples. It says as follows, The next day John was there again with two of his disciples when he saw Jesus passing by. He said, Look, the Lamb of God. And when the two disciples heard him say this, they t turned and followed Jesus. Turning round, Jesus saw them following and asked, What do you want? And they said, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? Come, he replied, and you will see. So they went and saw where he was staying and spent that day with him. It was about the tenth hour. Andrew, Simon Peeper's brother, was one of the two who heard that John had said and who had followed Jesus. And the first thing Andrew did was to find his brother Simon and tell him, We have found the Messiah, that is, the Christ. And when he brought Simon to Jesus, who looked at him and said, You are Simon, son of John. You will be called Cephas, which when translated is Peter. Now, this is uh, another remarkable passage here. And it's interesting that we have a transference of discipleship taking place. John the Baptist had been out in the River Jordan and he has been baptising and creating disciples. And it says that when John was there, two of his own disciples who uh, saw Jesus passing by and John identified him as the Lamb of God. That's the second time that John has done that. And what you've got here is that these two disciples, disciples of John the Baptist, are identified, which is interesting, because it says that Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of the two who heard what John had said. And the first thing Andrew did was to find his brother Simon and tell him. So we're talking about one of these two disciples being Andrew. And because John had pointed him out as the Lamb of God, of which presumably Andrew had heard him refer to him that day previously, where he talked of him as the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, Andrew was immediately attracted to this character. What was he about? What was so special about him? How could he be the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world? and which John had spoken so highly of. Remember, John had compared himself to Jesus, and he had laid himself at the very feet of Jesus by claiming that, you know, he wasn't even worthy to unlace his shoes. Well, presumably because Andrew and friend were so amazed by what John had said and become basically John's disciples, here's John pointing to someone even greater. So it's quite natural, therefore, that they would follow him. John was there again with two of his disciples, and when he saw Jesus passing, he said, Look, the Lamb of God. And when the two disciples heard him say this, they followed Jesus. You can imagine the situation and the scene here, though, can't you? Because Jesus must have been walking away, and they were some paces behind, following along. Not knowing what they would find but presumably hoping to listen to what he had to say and 
maybe even learn something even more than what John the Baptist had been saying to them from him. So these are people who'd already been spiritually awakened, spiritually alive, brought alive by John's teaching and preaching of baptism of repentance, must have been baptised by John, and now they've been pointed out to Jesus. Turning round, Jesus saw them following. So he looked at them and he asked them, what do you want? I find the question a very plain and simple one, but one which is, of course, utterly revealing. Why are you following me? What's the interest here? And the reply is interesting. They didn't simply say, well, we're following you because we want to know what you're, what you're teaching or what you're about. But they said, Rabbi. Now, that's a giveaway word because Rabbi means teacher, it says here. In other words, we accept you as someone who knows more than us, someone who is able to teach us, and therefore we're willing to learn from you. All of that's contained in this term, rabbi, which is the, the term teacher. Where are you staying? And that's a very interesting question, because when you ask someone where they're staying, it means you want to know more about them, because you want to be able to maybe catch up with them and... Maybe we'll, we'll come along and see you later on. Maybe we'll, we'll come along and find out where you live and, and maybe hang around a bit so that we can learn from you. I think that's all implied in this idea of, Rabbi, where are you staying? You know, are you around this area? Are you far away? We'd like to learn more, is what the implicit statement is. Jesus picks up upon that immediately and says, come and you will see. So there's an invitation here to follow. And a disciple, of course, is one who follows. Disciple means follower or someone who um, strictly um, alters their behaviour according to the pattern which is declared by the teacher. So already they are disciples of John. Now they are becoming disciples of Jesus. So he said, come. Now that's a, a fantastic invitation because Jesus could have said, you know, something offhand or unimportant and said, well, I live over there, you know, and, um, but rather it's much more inviting than that. There's a, there's a whole invitation here concerned in this come and you will see. It's an invitation to come and spend time with me, to come and learn from me because you've already shown yourself open to learning because you call me teacher. So come and you will see. And presumably they will spend some time. So, so they went and saw where he was staying, but not just saw where they were staying, but they spent that day with him. So they spent a whole day with Jesus, talking to him, asking him questions, and him responding, teaching them. And they must have been astonished and amazed at what they'd heard. You know, if you spend a day with somebody and they're not significantly um, uh, people with wisdom or understanding, you soon discover that. In fact, you don't need a whole day to discover that. You can discover a fool or an idiot or a person who has no understanding whatsoever very, very rapidly. But to spend a day with somebody indicates that this is someone with 
inexhaustible depths of knowledge and wisdom that you can plumb and, de and draw from for a long time. And even at the end of that day, they were still thirsty spiritually. And it was about the 10th hour. And that's, um, that's late in the day. The, the end of that day, Andrew, and it's the next day here involved, it seems to me, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of the two who heard what John had said and who had followed Jesus. So one of those two, Andrew, the first thing Andrew did, presumably in the morning afterwards, was to go and find his brother Simon and tell him, we have found the Messiah, that is the Christ. That was the conclusion he'd come to, not necessarily from John's pointing to him, but from his own day-long conversation with Jesus. Jesus had clearly impressed him so much that he'd come away with the unmistakable impression this man was so central and important that he was the Messiah. The Messiah is a concept within Jewish Old Testament that they were all expecting the Messiah as someone who would come and save the people from their sins. The one long prophesied about right the way from Genesis all the way through the Old Testament, there were signs and pointers to the one who was to come, who would save the people from their sins. Hence the idea of the Lamb of God. And clearly Simon Peter was aware of the idea of the Messiah and was also keen to find and discover the Messiah. This is implicit in the passage. It has to be so. Otherwise, Simon Peter would have said, well, I'm not interested in the Messiah. Why should I bother about that? But clearly this is a person who they had discussed maybe in the past, someone who they were on the lookout for, someone who has been figuring largely within their estimation and in their understanding of the scriptures these were spiritually attuned men then who were on the lookout for the one who would save the people from their sins so when simon finds his brother he knows he's going to be interested in this and he tells him we have found the messiah that is the christ the word christ and messiah mean the same thing one is a greek form of the hebrew word and so when you talk of Jesus Christ, really the translation of that is Jesus the Messiah, Jesus the one who was prophesied it from long ago, who will come and save his people from their sins. Then Simon clearly was impressed and interested and wanted to know more about this. So he brought Simon to Jesus, who then looked at him. And there's an interesting thing. The idea of looking at him suggests looking deeply at somebody, the idea of surveying them, assessing them, weighing them up, seeing what kind of person they are. So that's contained within this idea of looking at them. So Jesus looked at Simon and said, you are Simon, son of John. Now that might not be um, a miraculous statement. Don't forget that Andrew, his brother, had spoken to Jesus for the whole day. We don't know what transpired be between them, but it's quite likely that Andrew may have said something on lines, you need to talk to my brother Simon, because he's very interested in these kind of things, and he is, you know, really interested in this, that, and probably has said quite a bit about his brother Simon. 
Because the very first thing that Andrew thinks about when he meets Jesus is to get his brother Simon here. He thought there'd be an instant connection, and indeed there was. And so Jesus is not surprised when Andrew brings this person along to see him, probably having spoken quite a bit about his brother, and recognises him to be Simon, the son of John, just as Andrew, son of John. And you will be called Cephas, which means rock, the rock. You will be Cephas, which when translated is Peter or Petros, which is Greek for rock. And that's interesting um, because this is the rock upon which Jesus will build his church. And the idea of rock, first of all, I mean, why would you call someone rock? Why would you change their name? Why would you speak to them in that kind of way? That must be quite daunting when you first meet somebody and they tell you that you are so-and-so and your character is like this and uh, you will be dependable and solid and I'm going to give you this name of rock or, you know, solid stone, something which you can build a foundation on, not like shifting sand. You are immovable and solid in your ways. So, dependable. Jesus refers to Peter in that kind of way. And elsewhere, in, um, I think it's Matthew 16, 18, let me just turn to that page here, Matthew 16, 18, there's a parallel passage that I found Jesus replied, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, John, Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by man, but by my Father in heaven, and I tell you that you are Peter, Petros, and on this rock, Petros the rock, I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. And it's interesting that here, this is a later on time, this is when Peter confesses that Jesus is the Christ, quite openly and publicly. This is a later time, this is in Matthew 16, and I notice that at this point Jesus says, you are the rock, you are Peter. But in John, which is very early on, right at the very start of this whole process, he says, you are Simon and you will be called Cephas. Now I'm not sure if I'm reading too much into this, but certainly at the very start, Jesus recognises his character and claims that you will be called the rock. It's coming in the future. And at the point later on, halfway through the ministry, at the uh, Peter's confession of Christ, he then declares him to be the rock. And the rock, this, um, this steadfast, solid person, is steadfast and solid because he recognises who Jesus is and seeks to submit to him as the Lord of all things. So here we have Jesus referring to Peter as the rock. And there's a couple of interesting um, suggestions which come out of this. The first thing which um, suggests it to, to my mind is that, first of all, if Jesus is going to build his church on Peter. That's a surprising thing. It's surprising because one would expect Peter to think, well, aren't you going to build the church yourself? 
Aren't you going to build that church on you, Jesus Christ? Isn't it going to be built on you and who you are? And you think that in the first instance that will must certainly be the case. But here Jesus puts it the other way around. No, no, no. You are Peter and I will build my church on the rock which is you. That's what makes you so important as a rock. And that suggests this important thing. Why doesn't Jesus say I'm going to build the church myself on my own um, character or personality but no it's going to do on you it's because Jesus will not be here because Peter will be around when the church is being put together and built but Jesus will not be because that's the implication here that's why I'm building my church on Peter the rock and not on I'm not going to do it for myself by my own hands so Jesus even knows right at this point here, right at the very start of the ministry, right at the beginning where disciples are being made, created, brought on board, it's at this point that Jesus knows he's not going to be around to build the church. And the church, secondly, will be his legacy, which the disciples will take forward and which will build and, and prosper under the hand of their work not upon jesus's work the church is something which is post-crucifixion post-resurrection post-ascension the church starts at that point and jesus knows he's not going to be around to do that he entrusts all of that upon the solid shoulders of his most implacable and unmovable disciple peter or simon son of john and his brother Andrew and that's the first step here in that road bringing together disciples and setting out a pathway which will eventually lead to the creation of the Christian Church